Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Jason Jimenez here. So glad to be with you here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. I hope that you're pumped and ready to dive back into the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. Today is podcast 107. This is our third installment of Friday as we look at the Passion Week. Now, just to bring you up to speed, remember, Peter had just denied Jesus and they locked eyes, if you will, and Peter leaves bitter. Now, up to this point, obviously, Judas had betrayed him, obviously, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes before Annas in John chapter 18. Then he goes before Caiaphas once they're able to assemble many of the scribes and elders. And they went from liquidating Jesus to giving a death sentence on Jesus that they're now going to put him before Pontius Pilate. Meanwhile, Jesus is being mocked. He's being ridiculed. He's being made fun of, beaten. And Peter, after he denies, he leaves and he's saddened. And this is kind of, you know, the hanging point of where we left off. And so now today, after we look at these various different events that have been transpiring uh, into Friday morning, we now enter really the fifth event that's recorded on Friday. And this is the Sanhedrin trial. And this is now where the death sentence is legalized and they're going to push things forward. So let me just read you the three separate passages, Luke being the more detailed the longer version. Matthew just simply says here in verse 27, verse one, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Mark 15 and the first part of verse one just says, and as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. Now, let me read uh, for you Luke chapter 22, verses 66 through 67. Luke records, when day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the son of man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. So notice as we break this particular part down, and then we'll enter into the suicide of Judas Iscariot. Notice here in verse 66, when it says, when the day came, or in Mark 15, verse 1, as soon as it was morning, the assembly or the whole council of the elders, they gathered with the chief priests and scribes. And then they take Jesus and they lead him away to their council. Now, if you recall, the Jewish leaders, remember, they were doing things illegally. And that's why they were trying to rush through this early morning because of the trial that they did the night before was against the law. However, the verdict had already been reached in Matthew 26, 65 through 66. And the Jews, remember, they had no authority to execute uh, their subjects to death. They couldn't give that sentencing in John 18, 31. So they needed to build a strong enough case in order to present it to Pontius Pilate in order for him to go along with their verdict in Matthew 26. This is why Mark refers their quote-unquote consultation 
to be nothing more than a plot to rid themselves of Jesus. So here in verse 67, he says, if you are the Christ, tell us. And Jesus' response to them is interesting. We'll, we'll unpack it in a minute. He says, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. Now here, Jesus, when he says, for now, the son of man shall be seated at the right hand of the, the power of God. We know when Jesus is referring to the son of man, he's giving a messianic reference that comes from Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 14 and Psalm 110 verse 1. Now, this was a reference he debated with the Jewish leaders earlier in the week. So if you go back to Tuesday and you look specifically at Luke chapter 20 verses 41 through 44, you'll see that debate there. Now, the whole council of the Sanhedrin, they knew exactly what Jesus was claiming here. He was saying he is the Messiah. And this phrase that's seated at the right hand, Jesus is saying that he will soon ascend to heaven in glory. You go to Luke 24, verses 50 through 53. And of course, when Jesus is saying this, he's saying, I will continue to resume my position of divine and eternal authority. Now, listen to these words in Psalm 2, verses 4 through 7. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of your decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. So when Jesus was responding to them by saying this, they knew exactly what he was saying. That's why in verse 70, they all said, Are you the son of God then? And Jesus, literally in Greek, it says this word that he said, it means he declared to them, you say that I am, literally, you must say that I am. Basically, he's saying this, I gave you evidence throughout my life and teachings, and you guys know that there's no fault in me. The healings, the prophecies that have been fulfilled, and I'm declaring before you this day, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the Father, meaning I will resume my position as a second person in the Trinity. And he's saying, you must say that this is true on account of what the scripture says about me. But of course, in verse 71, they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips, meaning we are going to sentence you to death because we do not embrace you or believe you to be the Messiah. And that's that. And at this point, we're going to see shortly that they're going to take him to Pontius Pilate. So this leads us now at this phase. Now notice this trial of Jesus is meshed between particularly two disciples. One was, as we saw before, Peter. But prior to that, remember, this all started because Judas came to the garden to have Jesus arrested, to identify him as he betrayed him. And then you have the trials going on between Annas, Caiaphas, and he goes before the Sanhedrin. And meanwhile, Peter denies him. And now we're told in Matthew 27, 3 through 10, what Judas does. So remember, at this point in time, Peter is remorseful. He locked eyes with Jesus. He realized that he's a sinner, that he betrayed uh, in love, if you will, not the way that Judas did because Satan entered Judas, but Peter betrayed his master. He lied to him and, and he just was consumed with so much grief about that. And of course, he didn't know what the outcome was going to be of Jesus. And so he left there. So right now, Peter's in despair. And now let's see what happens to Judas here in Matthew 27, three through 10. It says, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, that means in the Greek, he was rendered guilty. He would be sentenced to death. 
Notice here, it says, Judas changed his mind. This is actually an interesting Greek word because it means that he's remorseful, he's sorrowful, but he's not repentant. But notice what he does is in this sorrow, he brings back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders. And he says to them, I have sinned. In the Greek, this means I've been engaging in wrongdoing because I betrayed innocent blood, Judas says. And they say to Judas, what is that to us? See to it yourself and throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and he hanged himself. Now, when you look at the descriptiveness here in Matthew 27, three through five, it does seem that Judas didn't think that Jesus was going to be sentenced to death, that it wasn't going to come to this point where he was going to be crucified. So this causes Judas to be filled with regret because he he, uh, betrays Jesus for money. Now this phrase, betraying innocent blood, this implies that Judas knew all along that what he did was wrong because Jesus wasn't guilty of anything. So yes, he can go before the religious leaders. It's not like you know, he's going to try to convince them to to turn back time or anything. And he throws down the pieces of silver. Now, this was an action that's prophetic in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 through 13. But this action does not mean that Judas is repentant or that his sins are atoned for. And that's why he leaves and he hangs himself. Now, when you take a closer look at the law, particularly in Deuteronomy chapter 19, 16 through 21, you see that anyone who pronounces false witness on another, that's punishable by death. So Judas has that hanging over him, but he also has the remorse and the regret that he can't live with. And he let his master, his rabbi down, and that was very disgraceful as a Jew. So he has he's lost all dignity and respect. And so sadly, he chooses to take his own life. Now, when you look at Acts chapter 1, 16 through 19, notice how Luke records this. He says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted to share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Alkadama, that is, filled of blood. So now when you look at verse 6 of Matthew 27, it says, But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel, meaning in the Greek, they devised a course of action, and they bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Now, this is interesting if you consider what's taking place here, because remember, up to this point, the Sanhedrin, they had no problem breaking the laws to condemn Jesus, but yet they're very detailed, they're very scrupulous about not receiving back blood money because it would be against the law. I like how the IVP New Testament commentary series puts it, it says, quote, these leaders were willing to pay out blood money for Jesus's capture, willing to allow Judas's suicide, but too pious to accept their own blood money into the temple treasury. Jewish law prescribed for false witnesses the penalty they had wished to inflict on others. Since the chief priest refused to serve the cause of justice, Judas has to see to his own execution, end quote. And finally, here in verse 9, what Matthew does is he writes here that this was all fulfilled Uh, based on what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver 
the price of him on whom the price had been set by some of the sons of Israel in verse 10, and they gave him for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now, a couple explanations here. Number one, Matthew writes a composite here of the fulfillment of Judas's betrayal in light of Jeremiah. If you go to chapter 19, verses 1 through 13, in chapter 32, 6 through 9, and also he's referred to Zechariah chapter 11, 12 through 13. So I know that sounds a little bit confusing, so let me break it down a little bit further. This other phrase here that he says, spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, he's referencing Jeremiah as a way of lumping the prophets together. Why? Because he was in the first order, that is, Jeremiah was, of the section on prophets. So he may not be directly referring to him specifically, but in the but in the section of the prophets altogether. Now, on next week's podcast, we're going to jump into the trial that Jesus has before Pilate, and then he goes to Herod, and then he goes back to Pilate, and then we'll close things out when we look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So as I conclude this podcast today, as we really reflect and look at the remorse that Judas had in him giving back the money, but then taking his own life, let me just... Uh, add a few things if if I can before we close out. Uh, number one, just looking at our personal relationship with Jesus, I want you guys to know that there is no sin that is too great that Jesus cannot forgive. And the sad thing is Judas felt it was the end, that what he did was unforgivable. Now we are told in the scriptures as we looked at it today that he was unrepentant. In the end, why he remained unrepentant, we don't know. But that's the reality, unfortunately, for many people in this world. And of course, we see the contrast between Peter and Judas to follow, as I was mentioning earlier. You know, in the midst of Jesus being betrayed and undergoing such great humiliation and being tried illegally, you have the situation between Peter and Judas. Both of them are filled with sorrow and regret, But we know in the end, it's Peter who's restored, and sadly, it's Judas who takes his own life. Which leads me to my last thing that I want to mention as we close out, and that is, if you are struggling, if you are filled with a lot of depression, or you have an acute mental disorder in your life that you've been battling for quite some time, I want you to know that it's not because perhaps you have a lack of faith or you're not trusting God fully. And if you only did that, you'd be completely and totally healed. That may be the case for some of you guys. But I want you also to know that we live in a fallen, broken world. And there are many people who are suffering with different diseases. They have different struggles, different afflictions. There are a lot of factors that we have to consider when it comes into the life of someone who's struggling. Now, obviously, we're analyzing, looking biblically in the text about Judas. But Applying it in our life today is very complicated sometimes, and it can be very confusing. But I want to mention it because there are so many people that I've encountered through the years that I've ministered to, and I've been blessed to call a friend that suffer with depression and mental illness. And there are some people with suicidal thoughts. doesn't mean because you suffer with depression or mental illness, you're going to have suicidal thoughts. But there are some who, uh, if you lump it all together— um, they, it's hard to get through the day or maybe a traumatic experience happens um, suddenly and it really takes them down a path of darkness. And for some people, they've even attempted to take their own life. And 
I'm sure you listening to this podcast right now perhaps know of someone who has committed suicide. They took their own life or you've been there at one time in your life and by the grace of God, you're living today uh, because someone helped you. You cried out to God for deliverance. You got the help that you needed. I just want you also to know that we need your voice in the church, in and outside of the church. We need more people who are willing to be vulnerable and we cannot let shame silence us. If you are struggling, know that there's help. We're here to pray for you here on the podcast. I pray for my listeners, some of you by name, of course, with, a, with an audience this large. I'm just praying in general things, but I know the Holy Spirit will lead and prompt people as we do seek Him and intercede on behalf of the saints. But if there's some help that you can get and you're nervous about it, don't be. One of the best things that we can do is to be honest. And one of the greatest things that we uh, can turn to besides our faith in Christ is a friend. And so if you do have friends in your life and maybe they don't know to the full extent of what you're going through, trust the Lord that God has placed that person in your life because they're going to be there to help you through it, my friends. And if you have struggled before, like I said, and you've overcome a lot and you've learned a lot, again, you're not perfect, but you've learned a lot where you can help be a voice uh, to be a friend, to heal, and to help restore people in the powerful name of Jesus. Will you do that so that we can help save lives? That, my friends, is what it's about when you and I talk about bearing the burdens of one another, coming alongside brothers and sisters in the household of God, according to Galatians 6.10. And even though we grow weary at times, and even though we don't have all the answers, we know that Jesus is the answer and through the power of the Holy Spirit and the giftedness that he's given us with boldness, unashamed, we want to speak truth into the lives of people in love, Ephesians 4, verse 15. So I pray that as we listened today, as we went into the word of God in Matthew 26 and we looked at Judas, I pray that it really compel all of us to be more open and honest about what God is doing in our life and that you look around and say, God, what are the needs around me? Who are the people that are filled with regret? Who are the people that have a lot of remorse in their life? Who are people who are suffering maybe with a mental illness that I can help to minister, to pray for them? And I just pray that as we do that, you will see greater needs around you and that you would be a greater support in return. So I pray that's a blessing to you, my friends. So thank you for listening. I love you guys. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.